Uh, yeah, here I am. Morning, church. Great to see you. Online, hello, good morning to you. Uh, it's been a while since I've been here at our Essex campus. Always a joy for me to make the trek over from North Ave to see your beautiful faces. And uh, it's just, it's good to be here despite, uh, you know, negative 15 degree temps when I left my house this morning. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, you know, the last, um, last couple of years have been hard enough, right? We've experienced a lot of hardship and a lot of loss, and unfortunately, our church family today is uh, experiencing another great loss uh, among us. Uh, many of you know the Underhills, Kim and Doug Underhill. Uh, they've been a part of this church family for a while. They've served faithfully in so many ways. Uh, in fact, they're, they've been leading our Night to Shine team this year, and Night to Shine is less than two weeks away now on February 11th, and... Uh, you know, they've been leading that and served as small group leaders and, and uh, Doug served on the governing board. And this past Friday, many of you know by now that Doug uh, passed away tragically and suddenly uh, Friday went to be with the Lord. And we are feeling that, our church family. And uh, we've all, it seems, lately experienced these sorts of things over and over again of loss of sadness, of uh, changes to our lives and rhythms, and this one is uh, not just felt by the Underhill family, but by our church as well, like so many of the losses we've experienced this last, uh, these last days. So uh, I'll just ask you, church, to be praying, praying for Kim and their kids, Kendra and Brandon, as they just live in a new season, a new season of life that will, you know, go on without, without Doug. So pray for them. Uh, pray for all who are impacted by this. You know, our worship team, before the first service, we gather, uh, typically the worship team, uh, after practice to, to just share a little devotional time and time in prayer. And this morning, it was, we were talking about lamenting and just sharing about, um, you know, not just the, the loss of Doug, but other laments we have in our lives as well. And we are feeling that today, and I know many of you are uh, in that and in a lot of other ways. So I want to start, before we get to the message today, just taking a pause and to pray to pray for the Underhill family, to pray for our church, and to pray for all of us who have gone through these times in these, in these days of losing loved ones or what other uh, senses of loss and change that we have. So church, would you uh, just join me as we pray for the Underhills and for all of us as we, in our losses. So God, um, <clears throat> we know you are good. We know that you are gracious and merciful we know that you are a God of peace. Lord, help us to feel that. Not just know it, but feel it. Your grace, your mercy, your goodness, and your peace. We pray for Kim and Kendra and Brandon as they need you in a really big way right now. Would your mercy and grace and goodness and peace be with them as they grieve and as, yes, they hope in you and as they move forward now in life missing Doug. Help us too, Lord, all of us who have experienced loss and the profound sadness and the, the empty seat at our tables and in our homes and help us to feel your mercy, your grace, your goodness, and your peace. Help us to hope. And God, would you be with us 
be with the Underhills in a very special way. And be with us this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Okay, we got to transition now to the message. This is going to feel like a hard transition, but we're going to do it. Uh, we've been uh, in the series the last month, this teaching series, we've been calling it A Great New Year. That as we step into 2022, we want this to be truly a great new year for all of us in our lives, in our faith, in our families, in our workplaces, and everything we do. Uh, we want it to be a great new year. So we've been uh, talking the last few weeks. Pastor Scott's been working through some mindsets, some uh, practices, some perspectives to really help us uh, start this year looking forward to it in <laughs> a great new year. And we're going to continue that series today. Let me ask you a question. Who here has played Wordle? Wordle? Anybody? Clark. <laughs> Love it. All right, Wordle. So if you've been on Facebook the last like month, you know exactly what I'm talking about, even if you don't know what I'm talking about. You've probably seen friends post these like scores with the little green and yellow squares on there. Yeah, you've seen this. And you're just looking at, I remember looking at that and going, what the heck even is this thing? And then just immediately stopped caring about it. Like, I don't care about that. Internet fads, uh, games, those sorts of things. They're not really my thing. I don't typically get into them. Uh, but uh, Wordle, if you don't know, it's this online daily word puzzle. And what you do is you go to the website and every day you try to solve the word of the day. It's a five letter word. You get six guesses. It tells you every time you put in a guess what letters you got right, what you got wrong, and then you try to solve the word of the day. And, uh, you know, it's, it's daily. It's one word. It's intriguing. It's fun. It's simple. Uh, here's a little picture of uh, my Tuesday's Wordle score. Got it in three guesses. That's pretty good, guys. That's pretty good. Um, now, I typically, like I said, don't get into these sorts of things, but my wife, Taylor, she loves puzzles. And she especially loves word puzzles and word games. Her number one favorite game is Scrabble, which is sad for her because my least favorite game to play is Scrabble. So typically my anniversary gift to her is I sit down at the table and I say, wife, let's play Scrabble. And she proceeds to just absolutely obliterate me at Scrabble. So, I, you know, she's not making it easy for me to keep wanting to play. But uh, earlier this week, she was, I caught her sitting on the couch on her phone playing Wordle, and I was sitting there, and I was looking at it, and I just started asking her questions, like, tell me about Wordle. What are you doing? What's the point? What are you trying to do? And she's explaining, oh, you got to guess the word of the day and all this. And I found myself sitting there just absolutely locked in and engaged with Wordle. Uh, and as I'm sitting there watching her play, I'm like, I'm going to get this before she does, right? And I'm working, I'm cranking my brain, and of course I fail. She gets it, and uh, the next day I wake up, and I say, I'm going to do Wordle. So I, early I wake up, you know, I, I brush my teeth, I go downstairs, I'm waiting for the coffee, I start playing Wordle. And I'm doing okay. Got it in three guesses. Pretty good, first time doing it. So I text Taylor, kind of going to rub it in her face a little bit. Hey, three guesses, that's pretty good, huh? And then she, uh, you know, she's still upstairs in bed and she texts me, she's been awake playing Wordle, she texts me her score, she got it in two guesses. Even when I win, I can't win. And... Uh, so I played, and I've played the next day, I played the next day, and I played every day this week. I played this morning at 6 a.m. as after, you know, got up to come here to get ready. I was playing Wordle this morning, and I found myself every day this week waiting for the next day's Wordle. 
Just waiting, right? And I'm thinking about it, strategizing. Okay, my first letter, I've got to put in more vowels in the first one. I've got to figure this out. You know, I'm sort of strategizing about it. I've been talking about it. Um, my, my assistant, Ashley, she's also our, our worship leader over at North Ave. She's the only one in the office with me over there most days. And, I, you know, poor Ashley. She hears me yelling from my office every day. Hey, Ashley, did you do Wordle yet? And she's, no. And I'm like, ah, you know, I've got no one to talk to about this. But I've been totally locked into Wordle. Even if I've got stuff to do and stuff going on, important things, there are many more important things in the world than this game. I found myself thinking about it, right? It's kind of tugged at my heart and mind. And, and uh, for me and for lots of people, this fun, simple, intriguing game has become uh, a little bit consuming. Uh, many of you know the name Beth Moore, right? She's an author, Christian speaker, and uh, she's been tweeting out her Wordle scores all week, so at least I'm in good company with Beth Moore playing Wordle. But uh, do you ever get this way about things, right? Do you ever get this way? Do you ever engage with things that kind of consume your heart and your mind that you think about, you obsess over, you get into, like really get into? Maybe, maybe it's a game, maybe it's Wordle, maybe it's another game, maybe it's a, a, a sports team. Maybe it's a podcast or the news. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's your Instagram post or uh, TikTok. Something that engages and consumes your heart and mind that uh, could very easily lead into obsession. And even when you're not actively engaging with that thing, you're thinking about it. You're wanting it. You're engaging with it. I think we all get that way about something. Every now and then, right? We get that way about something. One day this week, as I was waiting for the next day's Wordle, I was sitting there and I had a moment of clarity, thankfully. And um, probably should call it the Holy Spirit. And I'm sitting there and uh, this question popped into my brain. Popped into my brain. And this question was, Matt, do you think about God's word like you're thinking about Wordle? And that question just kind of stopped me in my tracks. Like, do you think about God's word the way you think about Wordle? Is my, my highest priority knowing God and knowing God's word? Is my heart, is my mind, my imagination engaged with him in that way? With our Lord, <laughs> the creator of the universe, right? Instead of this, this very stupid online word game. Do I really love God's word? That's the question that popped into my mind. So church, I want to ask you that question today. Do you love God's word? Do you really love God's word? Do you read it? Do you think about it? Do you meditate on it and ponder it? Do you mull over that questions that it brings up as you read it? Do you, do you talk about it? Do you long for it? Do you study it? Do you allow yourself to be encouraged by it or convicted by it? Do you memorize it? Do you love God's word? Now, God's word is truly worth loving because God is worth loving. Psalm 119 is a very, very long psalm. In fact, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's 176 verses long, and when we translate it from Hebrew into English, that's just shy of 2,500 words. That is a very, very long psalm. And I think it's this long for two reasons. Number one, it's structure. And number two, it's content. Let me explain this briefly. The structure of Psalm 119, it's written as what's called an acrostic poem. 
So what this poem is, is that um, every about eight verses, that chunk of eight verses starts, each verse starts with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And we can't really appreciate that in English, as beautiful it is as it is in English. If you go back to the Hebrew, every stanza, every eight verses or so starts with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first eight verses all start with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. Second eight verses start with the second letter, Bait, and so on and so forth, all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It goes through the whole thing. And the structure is supposed to convey to us a sense of completion, right? Top to bottom, A to Z, the whole thing's there, it's complete. And the content of Psalm 119, well, it's about God's word. It's about how the psalmist loves God's word, his law, his commands, his word. So the author pens this beautiful long poem about how much he loves God's word and its structure, right? A to Z, top to bottom, the whole thing complete, really gives us a sense that God's word is complete and the psalmist's love for God's word is complete and total. So I want to read some of Psalm 119. We're not going to read the whole thing. So don't worry too much. But I want to read the first two stanzas, the first 16 verses, just to get a sense of where the psalmist is at and his love for God's word. So let's read. You'll see it on the screen. Psalm 119. This is verses 1 through 16. And it says this. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are, to, that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. There's a lot of talk of laws and decrees and commands in these verses. And when the psalmist talks about those things, he's talking about God's word. The law of God handed down, recorded for us in the first five books of our Bibles. He's talking about God's word and how he really loves God's word. So I have to ask myself, do I really love God's word? And church, do you really love God's word? Uh, Every day in my Google Calendar, I have an alert that pops up in the morning that says, in capital letters, pray. And I put this in my calendar every day because the idea is I'm scheduling for myself 30 minutes every day where I'm not going to do nothing except for read the Bible and I'm going to pray. And uh, I'm at about a 60% success rate with this day to day. Sometimes I have to catch up later in the day. You know, things pop up and you got things going on. But the idea is that every day I'm reading and praying and spending that time intentionally in God's word. But looking back at the past couple weeks, I've noticed I've been pretty thrown off this schedule. Pretty thrown off. Some of it comes with just the general apathy of wintertime, and it's dark out, and I don't want to do anything or get up. You know, it's cold, and uh, that's my excuse. 
And some of it's scheduling stuff that comes along, but either way, the past couple of weeks, my confession to you, church, is I have not been spending my daily, regular, scheduled time in God's word like I intend to. Just haven't been doing it. And last week, for me, it was especially rough. Not this past week, but the week before. So starting two Sundays ago, it was especially rough. Uh, my wife, Taylor, she went out of town uh, for work down to Palm Beach, Florida. Poor her. She's down there, and uh, I'm home with the kids, our seven-year-old Jack, our six-year-old Levi, and uh, we got a great week ahead of us, right? I'm, we got everything scheduled. The kids got school, right? I got stuff in my calendar. I know where I'm supposed to be at all times. Kids got five days of hockey practice in a row. We've got school. I've got meetings. I got this and that. Okay, we got it all. Taylor's gone, but we can handle this. And my kids are like, yeah, dad, you can handle it. And I'm like, thanks kids. You believe in me. And so we start the week. Last Sunday, Taylor gets up early and uh, goes to the airport. She takes my car, leaves me with the minivan. Cool. I can schlep the kids around pretty easy in the minivan, right? So she leaves. First thing I have to do while she's gone, before even church, 10 a.m. at North Ave on Sundays, before church, Levi has to be at the rink at 8 a.m. for hockey practice. Got it. Let's do it. So I wake up, it's negative 15 degrees out, much like today, right? Wake up, wake up super early. I'm like, I'm gonna get the coffee, get the kids breakfast. We're not gonna be in a rush. We're all gonna get up a little early. It's all gonna be good. So we do that. We're going through our morning. Everything's looking great. Time comes, I go, uh, thank the Lord, we have remote starters in our cars. I go to remote start the minivan and uh, nothing. And it's, you know, it's cold, and I gotta have that car warm. So I am run outside in my pajamas, I slip on some shoes, I don't even have socks on, I get in the car, I put the key in, I crank it, nothing. So here we are, the very first thing dad has to do, get the kid to hockey, failure, right? We failed, we couldn't do it. Thankfully, it's a short commute to church for me, it's right across the parking lot. So we do church, okay, good, we gotta win. I get my car later in the day from the airport. At least we have a car. We're good. Um, And the week goes on kind of like this. Tuesday, Jack, uh, the seven-year-old, I'm not going to give you details about this because it's a little gruesome, but he pops up with a little medical issue that we've got to figure out at some point. Nothing COVID-related, but other, just say, hey, we got some stuff we got to flush out a little bit. So we got to figure that out with him. Um, The next day, uh, and we still have hockey, we've still got all this stuff to do. The next day I'm cooking, and I don't know if you can see this, but I like splattered hot oil all over my arms, so like now I'm burned. Um, We had the snow day Monday, kids are home from school, great, now I have to reschedule things. I'm out there shoveling, and I've told you before, I have this back injury from a car accident, tweaked my back, you know, not not the worst I've ever felt, but man, it wasn't good. And like, this is just how the week is going, you know, of course, the wife's gone, Uh, it's me and the kids, and it's just one thing after another, just these minor annoyances that just piling and piling. And uh, thankfully, I've got good friends who live really close that helped out a lot. And uh, I'm so thankful for that. But man, I was tired. Tired and frustrated and just like, oh, of course, the week, I don't have my wife here is the week when all these little things just keep popping up, you know. So that's how the week's going. Feeling tired, feeling fatigued and frustrated. And uh, we got Friday comes along. And this is the day we're going to figure out Jack's medical issue. So I keep him home from school because we got to, you know, we got to be close by, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, we're sitting on the couch together, Jack and I, little brothers at school. Me and Jack are home and we're sitting there, sitting under the blanket. And he's like, Dad, can we read a book? I said, yeah, we can read a book. Go get a book. And he gets up and as he's halfway to the bookshelf, I just pops into my mind. I go, Jack, go, go grab your Bible. We got him a nice kid's Bible. And he's like, all right. And he runs upstairs, grabs his Bible from his room. 
And he comes and sits with me. And uh, I'm like, what should we read? And he doesn't know. <laughs> and I don't really know. So I'm like, oh, let's go to, let's read First Samuel, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. We're going to read about Samuel and Saul and David and all this stuff. So we open up to First Samuel. And we read chapter one, we read chapter two. And I look at him, I say, Jack, you want to keep reading? And he's like, yeah. And I was thankful because I did too. And mind you, I hadn't cracked that book open all week at this point. Tired, frustrated. We read chapter three, four, five. And I got to tell you, friends, sitting there with my kid, reading God's word together, man, it was a breath of fresh air. In a very profound and real way, a sense of peace, a rest for my soul washed over me that I can't explain other than that God was meeting me there while we were reading together. And at this time of feeling apathy and struggle and, f- and fatigue, God reminded me, Matt, there is something so special about reading this book. And I know I'm not the only one who's been feeling those feelings lately. And I know I'm not the only one that God wants to remind of just how special he is and how special reading his word can be. So, um, church, let me offer this for us. If you want to make it a great new year in 2022, read God's word and love God's word. Read God's word and love God's word. It's special. God's word is special. It provides so much help and perspective for us. And this morning, I just want to talk about three reasons why God's word is so special. Because it helps us to know God, it helps us to know ourselves, and it helps us to know how to live. So I want to talk about these three things. So let's just get into it. First thing, reading and loving God's word helps us to know God. Uh, last week, I chuckled as uh, we were listening to the sermon, watching over at North Ave, Pastor Scott preaching, um, because if you were here, you were watching online, you might remember Scott uh, showed a clip from Lord of the Rings, the movie, right? Gandalf the wizard talking to Frodo, pretty epic quote, and he's up there trying to explain it. And I chuckled to myself because um, uh, Scott's clearly not like a big Lord of the Rings fan. And uh, confession again to you this morning, I am. Oh, man, I am a huge Lord of the Rings fan. And uh, it was extra funny to me because I've been rereading all the books. A couple weeks ago, I finished up reading The Hobbit, which is the prequel to the series. And right now, I'm about eight chapters into The Fellowship of the Ring, the first book of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So I've been reading it. So I chuckled when Scott played that clip last week. And um, now, I won't say I'm the world's biggest Lord of the Rings fan, but I'm a pretty big fan, Um, and especially when I was younger. Peter Jackson's movie adaptations came out when I was in high school. And uh, the third movie came out my senior year. And again, not saying I'm the world's biggest fan, but I will tell you that um, one of the English teachers was taking her class. I didn't have this teacher. I wasn't in that class. She was taking her senior English class to go see the movie while it was in theaters, Lord of the Rings. And uh, again, not the world's biggest fan. But she knew how big a fan I was that she invited me, the only other student not in her class, to come join them on the field trip to go see the movie, right? So if you ever had any doubt about just how very cool I am, I want you to rest assured, now you know exactly how cool I am. So, uh, <laughs> but I, I do, I love the story, I love those books, and as I've, as I've gotten older, 
I've become more curious about their, the author, John Ronald Ruel Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien. Just like who was he and how did his faith impact, because he was a believer, how did his faith impact his writing in the books and why did he write it? What was his childhood like? You know, asking kind of all these questions about him, how did he come up with this like epic, awesome story? So last year I picked up his biography, his official biography and read it, and I felt like I got to know him a little better. Um, But like any biography, you know, it's an account of his life and There's quotes and stories from friends and other sources, and it attempts to convey his character, his his inner thoughts, his motivations, but a lot of biography work is naturally has to be guesswork. Most biographers don't know the subject that they're writing about. They didn't know them personally. So you kind of have to like make assumptions or look at evidence and draw conclusions about the person, especially what was going on in here, right? And naturally, because of that, any biography is going to fall short of reality because it's just the nature of it all. That's just how it is. It's going to have gaps and fall short. And at times, I've heard people refer to the Bible as God's biography. And I got to say that that description of the Bible would fall short of what it really is. It's not God's biography, and it's not God's autobiography, right? The Bible is God's very heart. It's God's word to us about himself, not who he was and what he did, but who he is and what he's doing. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that God's word, the Bible, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and that it cuts deep into us, splitting our joints and our marrow as we read it. It's living, it's active. It's It's not an account of what God has done in the past, though that's there and that's important. It's It's God speaking to us presently about who he is, who he is now. His character, his love, his motivation, his mission for us, it's living, it's active. And when we read this book, the Bible, God's word, we get to know God in history and now, here and now, today. J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, good friend, C.S. Lewis, you probably know his name, he famously said this quote, We come to scripture not to learn a subject, but to steep ourselves in a person. And through the scripture, through the Bible, God's very word to us, we get to know the person. When we read it, we get to know God. And when we love God's word, we can better love God because we find him living and active in its pages. We get to know God. Reading and loving the Bible also helps us to get to know ourselves a little bit better. Uh, In the book of James, in the New Testament, the author, James, compares the Bible to a mirror. It says this in James chapter 1, starting verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You know, mirrors show us who we are. We can't see our own faces. And if you can, you might want to see a doctor about that. But we can't see our own faces, right? So we look in the mirror. And there, we see ourselves reflected back. Every freckle 
every blemish, every stray hair, right? Every thin patch of your beard, your beard, not my beard, but your beard. Every pound, unfortunately, is there staring back at us. And so often, the picture we have in our minds of ourselves isn't what we see reflected back at us, right? I look in the mirror every day. I should, and I look there these days, especially. I look and say, I should get a haircut, especially like somewhere over here. Like, and then I walk away and I immediately forget. I never do it. But. James uses this meter, uh, mirror metaphor intentionally. God's word is like a mirror. When we read it, we can see ourselves for who we really are, right? We're exposed there. Who we want to be, who we think we are, how we think we're doing, often isn't what we see reflected back at us. Get a clearer picture. You know, often when I read the Bible, maybe you do this too, I find myself sympathizing with the characters in the Bible, you know, and sort of what they say, how they say it, how they handle situations. I often find myself, for better or worse, sympathizing with them. Uh, Like last year, our small group was reading the book of Jonah together. And you, you probably know the story. And if you don't, God calls this guy Jonah to do this very hard thing that he doesn't want to do. And Jonah, instead of going to do that thing, he runs away. And our small group, every week we get together, we're reading the story of Jonah. And we go, Jonah, you shouldn't have done that. But I would have done the same thing, Jonah. You know, we find ourselves sympathizing with the characters in the story. And the Bible exposes us like a mirror. Our blemishes, our flyaways, everything. And that can be hard. But when we look into the mirror of the Bible, we also see some other truths about ourselves reflected back. I'm just going to read a few verses here. We'll start with Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10. It says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Here's Psalm 139, verse 13. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. And here's 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Yes, the mirror of the Bible often exposes our failures and our fears and our, our faults. It shows us our lack of compassion and our selfishness and, and so many more horrible things. But it also exposes the undeniable truth that God created you on purpose and for a purpose. It exposes to us that God loves you, that he chose you, that he died for you, and that he will not give up on you and that you have a unique calling on your life. And we read the Bible and hold up this mirror to ourselves. We get to see all of this. The good, and that good is very good. And some of the stuff that we need to work on so that what we think we are, we can see reflected back at us. We get to know ourselves better when we read the Bible. Reading and uh, loving the Bible also helps us know how to live. Helps us know how to live. 
You know, uh, there are so many commands in the Bible for how to live. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> it can be overwhelming. And uh, there's no way we can go uh, through them all here this morning, but we can try to summarize them. In fact, Jesus, he actually summarizes it for us. And he does it, he does it pretty well, as Jesus tends to do. When uh, he was challenged by some people in Matthew 22, they're debating him, and one guy asked him, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? There's like 650 commandments in the Old Testament. They say, what's the greatest? Jesus says these words in Matthew 22, 37. He says to that question, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus says everything the Bible teaches us about how to live, all these commandments are summarized in these two things. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. The law and the prophets, he said, this is the Bible that they had at the time, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. It's summarized by these two things. Love God and love people. That's how we're supposed to live. Love God the most, and love other people as much as, maybe even more, than you love yourself. And from there, as we read the Bible, some of the specifics of how to love God and love people get laid out a little more uh, in detail for us as we go along. The Bible teaches us how to live. It teaches us how to live a holy life, or how to worship God, how to love God. The Bible teaches us how to care for people, both who are part of the church and who aren't part of the church. Uh, The Bible teaches us how to make good decisions, how to pursue justice, how to show compassion, how to forgive. The Bible shows us all of this on how to live, loving God and loving people. I want to go back to Psalm 119. It's along the way it highlights this how to live peace. And I just want to read a little bit. Here's verses 33 through 35 from Psalm 119. Where again, the psalmist And how much he loves God's word. He says this, teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. If you want to know how to live with God and for God, it's all here for us in his word. Loving God, loving people. To make this a great new year, church, get your nose in the Bible. Get your nose in the Bible. Learn to love and treasure his word and treasure him in that. Get to know God better. Get to know yourself a little bit better and learn how to live with him and for him in a new way. And this will indeed be a great new year for you. Now, on October uh, 31st in the year 1517, a little over 500 years ago, a monk named Martin Luther had become so frustrated with what he was seeing happening in the church, he wrote 95 points of debate that he walked down the street to the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, and nailed to the front door. Now, Martin Luther never set out to change the course of history uh, or even to break from the Catholic church of his day, but he did intend to uh, start a conversation and correct some of the wrongs that he was seeing taking place Uh, specifically from the church leaders of the day, the priests, the bishops, and the popes. Now, back then, 500 years ago, Bibles were inaccessible. 
They all had to be handwritten. This was before the invention of the printing press. They were costly to produce. It's a pretty big book. So uh, you, you would find them chained to pulpits or in cathedrals. And maybe if you were a wealthy person, you would own one. But uh, regular people like you and I, we would not have had our own Bibles. And the Bible back then was all written in Latin. So even if you had a Bible, you had to be one of the educated elite. You had to have studied Latin to be able to read it. So they were pretty inaccessible, hard to understand. The only way God's word was received by the everyday people, regular people, was through the church leaders. You couldn't just pick it up and read it for yourself, and so basically you had to just trust that uh, the priest or the pope or the bishop, whoever was speaking to you, what they were saying was actually there found in God's word, and what they were teaching came from God's word. And uh, corrupt church leaders were taking advantage of this exploiting people, leveraging their authority and the ignorance of uh, everyday people for money. Part of what they did was they called uh, or they sold something called indulgences, which they would basically say, the very simple way to say it is, hey, you don't want to go to hell when you die? Give a little extra money, you know? And that's what they were doing. And Martin Luther hated this. He hated it because he knew that wasn't in God's word and the other things they were doing weren't there. But he hated the root cause of it, which is that the Bible was inaccessible to people. No one could read the Bible for themselves and say, hey, that's wrong. It doesn't say that. God never says to do that because people didn't have the Bible. They couldn't read it for themselves. They had no idea. So he decided to do something about it. He spoke up, and that put him in danger. And at the request of some friends in the year 1521, Martin Luther went into hiding in a castle in Wartburg, Germany, for a year. Thankfully, during his time there, he he decided to be productive. And in three months, he had translated the whole New Testament from its original Greek into the German language of the day. Took him three months. And when he finished that, he started the Old Testament. And that took a little longer. It took a few years. But after he completed translating the whole Bible, within 40 years... Over 100,000 copies of God's word were distributed among God's people, written in their own language. And that is a remarkable number, especially for the time. Church historian Philip Schaff, he comments on this and he says uh, about Martin Luther, he says, the richest fruit of Luther's leisure, you can call it that, in the Wartburg Castle, and the most important and useful work of his whole life is the translation of the New Testament by which he brought the teaching and example of Christ and the apostles to the mind and hearts of the Germans. He made the Bible the people's book in church, school, and house. Accessible, able to be read by anyone and everyone. He got God's word into the hands of the people. And today, friends, thankfully, We have the Bible in our hands, in our language, in our languages, all around the world today. We can download it for free on our phones, download apps, go on websites. It's there for us to read, to see, to have. It's in our hands. Because one man believed that it was worth having in your hands. So you can know God, really know him, and know yourself, and know how to live with him and for him. This year, to make it a great year in your life and in your faith, 
Read and love God's word. Get your nose in the Bible. Make it a regular rhythm. Reading it so that you can get to know God better and everything else that that comes along with that. Not sure how to do that? Don't know where to start? Need a little help? Surprise, we got some help for you. We're going to put a graphic up on the screen for you online people. You're going to see it. Don't worry, Essex. I got something for you too. On that uh, graphic, leave that up there for a sec, Dan. You'll see a little QR code. You can just open your phone camera and hold it up to that. And a little link should pop up. And if you click that link, that'll take you right to the site that we have uh, designed for this. So just hold on. I'll explain that in a minute. You guys, if you're like, hey, I want that too. Guess what? Out in the lobby in a couple places, info desk and other spots, you'll find this little card. It says, Bible reading plans. And there's that QR code there. Again, super easy. Open your camera, hold it up to there, just click the little link and that'll take you right to the page. And what you'll find when you go to that page is you're going to find Bible reading plans that, uh, that span a number of time frames. Let me explain that. So not everyone has an hour every day to sit down and read God's word, but maybe you got five minutes. Well, there are Bible reading plans that take only about five minutes a day. Maybe you got 10 minutes, maybe you got 15 plans for those as well. There are uh, suggestions for apps for you to download on your phone that'll send you reminders, that'll keep track of your progress, that have study tools and places to take notes, all those really sweet things. And you'll even find some suggestions for like paper copies of books, like actual books that you can hold in your hand. Uh, You'll find that all here. And some of these Bible reading plans are great. They're, They're formatted for you to fold up and it works as a bookmark. You slide it right into your Bible so you can just, boop, every day, where am I going? Where am I stopping? Boop, you know, keep it right there with you as you go. So you scan that QR code, click the link, that'll take you right there to all those plans. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, apps and hard copy books for you to get your hands on. I, church, take advantage of these things. Use these tools. These resources are awesome and they're held, here to help encourage and navigate what can often be a daunting task of opening up that really big book that's written, you know, it's, that language is kind of outdated. It's hard to understand. These resources will help you navigate that, get started, and keep you on track, and motivate and encourage you day to day, week to week, to get your nose in God's word, to read it, to love it, to get to know him, to get to know you, and get to know how to live with him and for him as you do. So take advantage of these things, church. Really encourage you to do that. Make it a regular habit this year. Get to know God in a new way. And learning to love his word like, uh, like never before. You know, Psalm 119, I, I want to be like the person who wrote Psalm 119. I want to be able to say to God, God, I love your law. I love your commands. It's not really about the command, right? It's, it's really about the command giver. About loving God. I want to be like the guy who wrote Psalm 119. Knowing him, loving him, loving his word, and knowing his word in a really deep, personal, profound way. So, church, I'll just end by saying, you want to make it a great new year in your life, in your faith? Get your nose in the Bible. Learn to read it. Learn to love it. Use those resources that we've put together for you, and you'll have a great new year. Would you stand as we uh, close in prayer this morning? God, regardless of how often we read the Bible or if we miss a week or a day or however long, God, you, uh, you're here. You're with us. You don't give up on us. We can know you. 
So God, I just ask that we would all get to know you a little bit better every day. Help us to remember to read that Bible, and not in a way where if we miss a day or a couple days, we feel guilty about it. We don't want this to be a checklist item. But Lord, in a way that when we do open those pages, we, get, we, ha- we experience the joy of getting to meet with you in your presence. Lord, open our eyes to see you among us guiding us, helping us, walking with us in our joys and our sorrows and our griefs. Reveal your presence to us, Lord. And help us to know you more and more. So God, as we go from this place, wherever we are, in this room, at home, or elsewhere, would that be our truth, that we... We've seen you in a new way today. We got to know you in a new way today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Continue to reveal yourself and would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us, Lord, in that task. Help us to know you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. It's been wonderful to be with you today. Stay warm. We'll see you again soon. God bless you as you go.